Hey everyone, my name is Taylor McCartan. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of BinBreeze, and I beat the often path by refusing to burn wood. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we celebrate unique and inspiring success stories to help us radically redefine success and help us expand our concept of what's possible in our lives and careers. Taylor McCartan is the co-founder and CEO of Bin Breeze, a Dragon's Den success story startup. And for the Americans out there, that's basically Shark Tank. The idea is this. Bin Breeze is the world's first all-natural and non-toxic indoor composting powder that's on a mission to reduce the impact of food waste. Their innovative and sustainable product reduces wood waste, think sawdust and wood products, that's currently just burned for lack of a better alternative, while at the same time improving customer composting abilities at home. You just sprinkle this on your compost, on your food scraps, and you don't get the flies, and you get better composting, and it's just a better smelling, better experience all around. So it's a win-win that's now in over 500 retailers in Canada. Today, we'll talk about what it takes to get funding for your eco business, doing what you love, and so much more. Here's Taylor McCartan of Bin Breeze. All right, well, your work has made you the toast of Canada, or at least Victoria, at least. You're somewhat of a local celebrity, I think, in your neck of the woods. How did that come about? Yeah, well, my father was a carpenter, and his father was a carpenter, and I grew up spending my summers as a child laborer um, <laughs> sweeping wood dust. And, uh, you know, that was the norm as I was always on the job site sweeping up and, uh, we always burned that material at my grandfather's house. And I never thought about any sort of climate impact to burning wood, but as it turns out, and you can, uh, your, your viewers can, can fact check me on this. When you burn wood, you actually almost double its weight in CO2. So a kilogram of wood almost becomes two kilograms of CO2 in the atmosphere. And so, um, while burning wood for energy, or for heat or for s'mores is a beautiful thing that everyone should continue doing. Um, burning wood for disposal is a waste. And as it turns out, uh, North America burns millions of tons of wood waste every year purely for disposal, just to get rid of it from where it is, because it's cheaper to burn where it is than it is to transport anywhere. And millions so, of tons? Uh, millions, yeah. Wow. Um, basically, every time a tree is cut in the forest, uh, about 50% of the material is wasted. Do these trees um, make sounds not when the material is wasted or not? What's that? Sorry? Do these trees make sounds when the material is wasted? If nobody <laughs> hears it? I, there, there's uh, a no. joke in there somewhere. <laughs> well, actually, uh, you know, if a tree falls in the woods that was cut down by a lumberjack and it cracks down the middle, the lumberjack just leaves it because he doesn't want to deal with a cracked piece of log. Um, and so there, there you go. There's the joke. Not really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, and, and then that doesn't also kind of account for the fact that um, when you cut down a tree, you've also left, you know, half the tree underneath the ground. Um, and so in both these circumstances, I just thought, well, there's just a ton of waste in the system. And more importantly, there's actually a great use for that wood. I'm sure I could come up for a use for it. And so uh, exploring that idea, I ended up meeting a, a professor of chemistry at the University of Victoria. Um, and together we teamed up and realized that we could actually use a majority wood waste mix in, um, in a powder that would uh, deodorize food waste and garbage uh, and effectively eliminate insects be from being able to infect it, but in a way that was extremely organic and beneficial to composting facilities and people who were going to make soil out of that. So it's not a toxic pesticide ridden way. And then as it turns out, you know, I took that to the farmer's markets in Victoria, thinking I'd sell it in jars. It was kind of like a fun uh, summer project. And um, 
people loved it so much. Now we're in 500 retailers across the country and we're, we're doing pilots with like waste management to basically streamline the entire organic system by having a, a model where uh, we balance the chemistry of the food waste where it is before transportation. Um, and so right now people's food waste, it rots, but the truth is food waste shouldn't be, be rotting and digesting. It should be decomposing. And, and it's, if it stinks, it's actually because it's digesting, which is gross. Yeah. So. I, I have experience with this. I, I've, I've said it before in one of the other episodes, not that anybody's paying too close of attention, but I tried to do composting for the first time. I moved to a place that has a yard and I did it the DIY way. So I got a giant bin from Home Depot, which is our hardware supply store. I got a giant bin. Did everything wrong. I just dumped a bunch of food scraps in there. I did all of the greens, none of the brown stuff that you're supposed to do. And all of that, I just left it for a few months. No air holes, no nothing. Put a lid on it. Came back and I opened it and it was the most foul smelling thing you've ever smelled in your entire life. It smelled like death, like 50 porta potties lined yeah. up next to each other. And I opened it and my neighbor who was gardening, I heard him coughing and gagging. Oh, he, God. And he didn't you know where he's like, where is this raw sewage smell? And then I, yeah. him, I was like, oh, you need to add leaves and you need to add paper and maybe wood dust to it. So yeah. I learned my lesson. But yeah, I can confirm it's horrible. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that um, that process that creates those smells is also creating methane. Um, and, uh, and, you know, anaerobic digestion, that's why landfills are bad is because the food waste basically creates methane just sitting there, um, and getting, you know, de digesting. Um, and by balancing that chemistry, you also actually create a, a more stable emissions reaction. So you don't have those disgusting smells coming up into your environment, going out into your yard. You know, one of the big things for us is, is making composting less attractive to animals. Um, like bears, simply by having a, a clear but breathable living filter of our product on top of your pile in the backyard. Um, and, and that's, you know, it makes a huge difference when, when you actually can compost yourself. Because right now, I mean, like, where do your food scraps go, right? Like, no one makes anything of them. Um, even the people who are separating them in Canada, you know, 90% of Canadians are separating their food waste from the trash. Um, they're not making soil themselves. They're giving it to the municipality. And, and sometimes the municipality gives it back um, for free. Sometimes they uh, use it in public parks and lands and things like that. So you're contributing to that. Um, but mostly they just struggle to actually make compost out of it because it's full of bags, compostable bags, plastic mm. bags. Uh, but that's a whole other story that we could go down. <laughs> but it does get used. Well, that was a question that I had because here in my neighborhood, they just implemented, we always had a bag for lawn waste, but it was mostly leaves and yard trimmings, they called it. And they just expanded that to now you can put your food waste in the green bin. You can do that. But yeah. of course, the question is always anytime you're putting things in multiple bins, where is it actually going? So is it actually being used? Can people, I mean, obviously Canada is probably different than the United States, probably no, better. Well, it's be actually, honest, Ross, it's a really interesting because it's a growing industry. So, you know, it's food waste diversion has only been around for the last 20 years. Well, obviously, centuries ago, humans were composting, millennia ago, humans were composting. But in the meantime, you know, th this new uh, composting revolution has only been the last 20 years because they basically realized it's actually really good for their, uh, their farmers and the economy to recycle this material. It creates jobs. Um, and it, uh, it actually really helps reduce the cost of your waste management, your garbage system. So everything that you're getting someone to put into their green bin is now weight no longer going in their black bin. Right. Um, and so that's, it's, it's good for everybody in that sense. 
I think uh, where it's actually going is such a fascinating question because in Canada, it's got 10 different potential homes in that uh, every region of Canada seems to have its own composting program and own rules about what is compostable. And that's not entirely different from the U.S., where you've got these tiny pockets of, of groups that have said, "Okay, we're going to compost our food waste," um, but then they don't—they're they, not actually setting up a composting facility. So, where is the food waste going to go? Um, most of the time, it goes to either a aerobic digester, where they make good fertilizer for for uh, farmers out of it, or the other time, other times, it goes into an anaerobic digester, where they actually seal it off pour some water in um, and do just what you did, except they actually extract the methane um, for for use as renewable energy. And they're still able to aerobically decompose the food waste after that. Um, It's, it's, it's very efficient. Um, I think there's opportunity for us to actually improve anaerobic digesters as well as aerobic digesters. But um, that's really, that's really what happens. (laughs) So, well, what I love is the cool thing about your story is that you have this very specific childhood, like you said, sweeping up wood waste. I always am fascinated by these unique things that happen in people's lives that lead to their big breakthrough or to their idea. So you have a very specific childhood with a very specific problem that you see. But I'm kind of curious when you brought it to the farmer's market, thinking you're going to sell it in jars. What was that reaction? Why was the reaction so big? What did people see in your idea in those early days that maybe you didn't see? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, and I think that's re- you asked that question really well, Ross, because um, you know my the scientists who built the product with me uh, until that first far for a few farmers markets, like he had a lot of doubts, um, you know that that this was going to be something real. Uh, I think this was the first time ever that I had an idea that when I told people about it, they truly reacted differently. You know, there was no longer because I, I love having ideas. I write them down in a big book and, and I like to throw them out to people um, all the time. It, sometimes it's a distraction. Um, but uh, but this was the one for that for, for the first time ever. People were like, whoa, that's a really good idea. And, and actually, even when we had the booth at the farmer's market, people were walking by and I could hear them say, oh, my God, that's such a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? And. I just, I, I thought that my previous ideas had that, that stickiness or that like wow factor. Um, but the truth is, I just, I never encountered anything that, that had done this before. I'm scared I'll never have an idea as good as what we're creating, but I, I've got hey, lots of It could be worse. I've never had an idea in my whole life, period. So at least hey, you got Ross, one. This You're show one ahead of idea. most of us. This is a great <laughs> idea. I like this show. This is cool because you know what, actually, while we're talking about the beaten path, I mean, God, I graduated from my MBA with a ton of student debt that I still have, you know, sure. um, and, and the company's growing and I'm really happy and like I get to pay myself and like my definition of success was like financial security found in meaningful work. Um, yeah. And I created that for myself and I'm proud of that. But but nevertheless, um, what most of my peers did and what most young people do when they graduate school is get a job because they got a massive amount of debt. Yep. And no one thinks about, well, how is this destroying innovation yep. in America or in Canada when suddenly all of our youthful energy is being already going to work for the banks or the government via student loans? And those people have actually restricted their choices. They're not making the same decisions. They're not willing to take risks um, because why would they, you know, if they if they 
if something bad happens or if the company fails, then then they're truly, truly um, effed. <laughs> yeah, because it's so. serious. It's scary and it's terrifying and it's serious. And being confronted with that situation is no joke, especially in a place like here where there's no social safety net, where you can go all the way to the floor and you can keep going below that. There's this famous uh, public speaker named Jim Rohn, motivational speaker of the 1970s. And he used to say that rock bottom was zero, but he said in the modern era, you can just go sailing right on by that. You can just whistle right on by zero and get way in the hole. And of course, you're 21 years old, you graduate, you've got mountains of debt. That is going to affect your life perception. And the workplace in general is extremely tough. That's one of the core principles of this show and why I created in the beginning is because we need different ideas. We need better ideas about what we can do. And we need to kind of show people, you and I, that you can take a risk and you can do something good for the environment. These are two things that seem to a lot of folks like luxuries. There are, there are or, things that, say, oh, um, that somebody else who's privileged could do that. Right. But I can't do that because I just got to pay my bills. I'm just worried about getting food. These are all valid concerns, but at the same time, if nobody makes these kinds of decisions, like you said, if all of the decisions are safe, if all of them go into jobs, if nobody focuses on the bigger picture problems that we need to as a species, that's just real bad totally. for us in general. Totally. So, but also perspective. I mean, um, we don't, we can't have progress only happening in like, you know, with ideas from a very small group of the population. We need everybody's ideas to, to have some, some merit and, and to be disseminated at least. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the year, uh, what was it? Yeah. One of the things that you said there that really struck me was, um, was that contradiction between uh, starting a business and doing something good for the environment, which for me is like, you know, like a, uh, had been a theme of this whole, whole thing, because, um, you know, one of the biggest things that happened when I started this company was, you know, I got called out as a hypocrite which I think is probably hundred percent fair. In fact, I know it's fair because mm. I breathe out CO2. Um, and, uh, I've got a plastic bottle, 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 bottle right here. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, well, and, we all and, are. yeah, yeah. And I, I learned through that journey that I needed to celebrate the wins in order of sustainable behaviors in order to encourage myself to actually take on more. And then I slowly, it was been able to like do things. Probably the easiest thing to change was like my razor, but at the end of the day, um, when it comes to business that you so often get these, these contradictions and like for us, you know, recycling wood waste. Well, if I send that wood waste across the country, am I still doing anything good for the planet? Is that more than the amount that would be emitted mm. from the waste material? Um, and very quickly, you can find yourself in a situation where you basically just log it to yourself out of doing any environmental action altogether. Um, in the case of Binbreeze, we did do a study and showed that by increasing the amount of food waste that people will actually separate from their compost bin, that's where like the meat and bones of our environmental impact is actually coming from by capturing more of the food waste. But simultaneously, we are, you know, changing that chemical reaction and like sequestering carbon and reducing methane just by using the product. Um, and so, you know, like it's just, it's fascinating to like have gone through these, kind of iterations and um, and really seen the, the, the contradictions and tried throughout this whole journey to just like try and put myself on the right path each time. It's really like, um, it's like a lens that you have to view the world in where if it's something that is 
going to do more damage than good, then it's not actually a viable action. Yeah. Um, or, or alternatively, you can do good elsewhere in order to try and balance that out. Although I don't know, that's a whole other section too. Sorry, I'm really getting frazzled this morning. I'm distracted. So. No, this is Ask all good. A I like it. No, it's all it's all good, and and I think there are a lot of people who have a evolution. And for me, I probably picked up my first business or self help or nonfiction book, let's say ten years ago, somewhere about there. I, I read Think and Grow Rich, which is now I oh, realize yeah. very problematic. <laughs> now I look at it and I think eh, Napoleon Hill was probably some kind of quack. <laughs> I'm not. I don't believe in him the way that I did, but it was a way in. It was a path into the ideas. Uh, it's not one that I'm going to be revisiting much. There are others like How to Win Friends and Influence People that I oh, still reread all the time. So you get into this thing and you read. And then, of course, it's not too long before you get into a book like The Millionaire Fastlane and these millionaire books. And you start glorifying these kinds of businesses and people who are saying, oh, I'm sitting here on a yacht and or I'm drinking orange juice. I don't have a word. I'm financially independent selling some app or brain supplements. You know, Tim Ferriss, four hour work. We go sell brain supplements on autopilot. In the beginning, you think, wow, that's so cool. Good for you, Tim. But as I get older and I've read more books and I've read more autobiographies, those types of businesses just don't do it for me anymore. Somebody's like, I made 10 million, I made 100 million selling some crap or some harmful crap. That does not impress me anymore at all. No matter how much money they might have made or how much it changed their life, it doesn't impress me unless there's this other very important thing attached, which is the greater good, like you said. Now, I like the way you phrased it because it's important to acknowledge that we're all hypocrites, that we all we all exude carbon, we all do all of these things in our daily life, but attempting to reconcile those things and find the best course of action is still better than doing nothing. So maybe our actions are imperfect and maybe your first idea isn't the best idea, but you're trying and you're learning and you're saying, where is this not working? And if there's one thing that I wish people would do, it would just be to try but we get so hung up on perfect or imperfect. And that's the kind of beef that I've always had with the, the vegan communities or vegan subreddit, even though I eat mo I was vegan for many years and now I'm, I'm not a hundred percent vegan anymore. They hate a guy like me who eats 95% vegan food because it's like, how could you say like having meat one day a week is like saying it's okay to rape people one day a week. It's okay to murder people one day a week. They're a hundred percent or zero. You're either a hundred percent on board or you suck. And I've always yeah, felt like, come on guys, let's pump the, like, let's try. If everybody there's got no, to 90%. There's no opportunity for like, like growth, you know, like at yeah. the end of the day, I've always thought it's about, um, and even around composting, when I took that compost bin out, that was so nasty yep. that gave me this idea. That day I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. That's not such a negative connection with sustainability right. but is in fact a positive uplifting experience so that i want to do more because like if i get you know like and then i when i started the company you know before i had any sort of environmental impact i was being called a hypocrite by some of my closest friends because i'd grown up as a teenager and i didn't give a shit about the planet during that time yep part of my language um and and there was a day that i was reading a book that i you know kind of had my moment and and i have to look back at my past actions and learn from it but I can't use them as justification not to try and do things better in the future. Um, and, uh, and, and similarly, when you're trying to, to make a change and you've got all these established habits, it's very difficult. It's hard to change your habits. And so if you do do that unsustainable habit again, you're at risk of just punishing yourself so severely that 
you're you're demotivated from trying at all. Um, and I, I think it's really important to have empathy for yourself and accept that you're not perfect. Um, and and then try again. It's always about trying again. Um, it's like it's like you know mindset. I don't know. That's probably a, you know you just list off some of my my favorite books. No, I do agree that that. Um, that uh, think and grow rich. Uh, think and grow rich needs a bit of an update. I, well, I'm I doesn't not need the, the master key to your success. <laughs> yeah, you come in, <laughs> won't you? BC. Actually, this reminds me. I've got this other theory that when I read these books, the repetition of the phrases actually is what's doing the learning, and it's not my conscious brain that's actually like taking in things, but my subconscious brain. And so, like, I read books like Mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, Grit is a really good one. Um, uh, good to great, uh, things like that, where I don't even know that I'm like fully absorbing everything, but later on, sometimes the concepts will come up, but just, it just bubbles up. Yeah, I I completely agree. And then there's some specific problem. You're like, Hey, I got to do this. Yeah. Peter Thiel told me to, even though he himself is an ethical nightmare, but (laughs) (laughs) that guy's got some, I've never read an entire book that, that has been such that I could explain in one sentence. Zero, you know, zero to one. But then simultaneously, I have cited a hundred times since I've read it. Damn it. Like, why am I actually (laughs) saying this? It's not complicated. Yes, it's so true. But that's what a lot of it is like. And again, for people who don't read those kinds of books, they look at it as kind of weird, right? Why would you read these types of books? There are people who do and there are people who don't. But I do think that in some way that compounds. I think the desire to be a better human in terms of your carbon footprint, your ethics, that compounds over time, even if your decision today is to separate compost, whereas before you didn't, or to replace your razor, as you said, instead of a single-use plastic one, something else. It compounds, and then 10 years later, you are getting your power from solar power. You're getting your water from the air. These are all solutions that I've learned about and we've discussed on this show that I can't wait to implement in the next 10, 15, 20 years of my life. Then you get older, and suddenly you're in this little miracle house where all of these things are energy independent. You've got your own water. You've got your own food. You've got your own bees. You've got all this cool stuff happening. It's the same with those kinds of business books and reading autobiographies. It just very slowly builds. The first one's not going to do much for you, but by the time you get to 30, your life has probably changed in some kind of material way. And and my life certainly has. My life has improved dramatically since beginning that journey 10 years ago, but I can't pinpoint any one specific moment where that was the thing. It's just I, it's just tools. I talk to you and I can reference oh, something or somebody you, you want to win a client for me. It's about clients because I have a marketing agency. You want to win a client and then you just know what to say when they ask a specific question. Whereas before you might not have known what to say. And totally. and you've had a lot of those moments yourself. I mean, you succeeded on dragon's den. You've gone through a few of these difficult challenges. So how, how has it been presenting your idea in those types of situations? Um, I think uh, I think when I was like 15, I jumped off a 10 meter diving board at a pool here in Victoria, and um, I remember after I jumped, I was terrified and like it was like that. This is a really stupid thing to do moment. But then you have no control, you know. You you have to let go. And I, I feel like in some ways, um, I learned from that to do a lot of really stupid things, <laughs> to to throw myself and and to to like like basically not worry and stress about the consequences of things going right or going wrong, but to put myself forward and be vulnerable and, and just go for it. And that has really 
help me immensely. So in the in the case of Dragon's Den, um, and that's just not not just going in and you know being myself and pitching. It's how can I put myself forward before that? Well, you know what I did is I watched every episode of the show because that's what you should do. And then every time someone got a deal on the show, I put myself forward and I tried to call them on the phone, like right then. Wow. And through that process, I met dozens of founders who had been on the show and, and gotten deals because I only called deal makers. Sorry, guys. Um, and um, I learned a lot that I probably was well equipped to go into the show with that other people didn't have. Um, and so, I mean, that I, I was also able to be even more vulnerable through that because I knew all these kind of background secrets that I can't share publicly because uh, I found a document. <laughs> Each one um, of them, <laughs> they're all in a dingy prison somewhere. <laughs> like, why, why did I take 50,000 for yeah. 50%? Yeah, their life force being sucked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, but I, I recommend anyone who's doing anything like that to do the same thing. Like, you're going to go on Shark Tank. Call Shark Tank winners to say hello. See if they'll talk to you. Because, like, it just, there's no harm in asking for help. I, I love asking for help. I do it all the time. That's a great gem right there. Well, one of the, the themes that's come up over and over again and that I always think about is what constitutes an idea. And that's much more prevalent when you're talking about things like Dragon's Den, which for those of our American viewers is Shark Tank. It's basically the same format. You pitch an idea and there are sharks or there's dragons and dragons then who decide your fate. Apparently they're what always carnivorous. Right. What, what constitutes an idea? And that seems like a simple question, but of course it, it gets more complicated the more you analyze it. And on its surface, you could say, okay, throwing sawdust onto compost does not an idea make. So what yeah. then is the idea, would you say, and why were the dragons interested in that idea? Because again, I think the key piece for those who may, we may have glossed over it is that you met a chemist and you met somebody else who helped you take this into some new territory. So what is the yeah. actual idea and what made it investable? Do you think? Totally. So, okay, that's that's a great question. Um, what it is is it's wood waste that's blended with these two extremely unique minerals that are actually mined um, from deposits here in Victoria, in British Columbia, Canada. Um, one of them is a fossilized algae that is uh, a pesticide in that it kills pests, but is not a chemical pesticide. It does it a mechanical action. It's actually fossils that are soft to human skin, but are extremely sharp to insects and suck the moisture out. Um, and specifically, they're only uh, harmful to insects that have an exoskeleton, and they're not harmful to worms or microbial life. So they're really good for the compost pile because I can deal with the fruit flies, which is where a lot of the pain for consumers comes in. But I can also make a great soil for the compost facility without a contradiction, like, I, like spraying it with, with a chemical. Um, and so the product is majority wood waste, but it has enough of a proprietary formula of all these. Like we have a patent actually in the combination, but basically so, um, yeah. the, the idea is that, you know, like we know it's still effective in these, these circumstances. Um, and we've now got a ton of data and science around, you know, the effect that it's having. So it is not just wood dust. It's these other two factors, but um, you know, it, wood dust was kind of the carrier agent for us building on a formula to have other beneficial effects for the consumers. And you're absolutely right, because when I went into Dragon's Den, I don't think I even, I think I did use the word wood dust, but only when they asked me what it was. Um, and I really framed that pitch towards 
who is my target customer, you know, the audience watching the show and the dragons, but, you know, like how can I emphasize the values that are important to them within 90 seconds that I get to have on TV, mm. you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, oftentimes I, I didn't say, you know, this is about upcycling wood waste. In fact, it doesn't say that on the pouch. Mm -hmm. It just says the values that are valuable to people. Eliminates fruit flies, neutralizes odors, soaks up the moisture. Like that's where people are are disgusted with their wet digesting compost bins in their kitchen and in their backyard that we we strike our value. Um, and I'm really not satisfied with how much actual information is on the back about the environmental <laughs> impact. It's so sad because we're sequestering carbon and reducing methane. I don't get to say any of it because no one buys things for those reasons alone. You always, your environmental impact needs to be like um, the additional awesome thing on what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to the reason in and of itself. I don't go to the store and buy things only because they're sustainable. I buy, like, I, I buy things because they're sustainable and add value to my life. Even a toothbrush, like I've got a wooden toothbrush here that's like a, you know, bamboo, whatever toothbrush. It's still a toothbrush. I need it to function as a toothbrush if I'm going to purchase it. Um, and that's really important too when anyone's trying to make change in the, for the environment is uh, if, you, if you're wanting to lead with that mission and, and that environment stuff only, then you need to start a nonprofit or a charity. Because if you're trying to start a business, you need to demonstrate value and then show environmental tobacco off that value if you want to be a sustainable business as opposed to, you know, um, I don't know, some sort of trading up platform for tree planting or whatever it is. I, I do think it's great to plant trees, but you know what I mean. I do. And that's actually a really profound insight that I want to unpack a little bit because the fact that you've hidden that it makes perfect sense. And these are the types of questions that I wrestle with all the time. How do you get change? How do you, what is the best way for facilitating the kind of change that you want? And the idea that if you want to make a business, you have to almost sweep the change under the rug or hide it, even though it's there, instead of advertise it front and center. I think that's pretty profound. It's a very bold statement. I think there are, of course, other people who might disagree with that statement, but yeah. I definitely respect and value where you're coming from because very, very few consumers, very, very few people in the world, let's face it, make a decision for purely ethical reasons at any point in their life on literally anything. The primary motivator for any type of action as a consumer, as a human being, is personal how will it make my life better? What will it do for me? What will I get for it? Me, 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 now, 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 right? Yeah. And that you've been able to do that. So was that a realization that you had to come to over time? Was that something that you felt intuitively from the beginning um, and then you just bore it out? I worked for a, I, work, I did a co-op term with a startup that did uh, non-plastic straws, like metal straws, mm -hmm. and they hated doing turtle photos. They hated creating that emotion for people. Um, because they didn't want to be that brand that, that like, you know, is, uh, I guess just like deliberately throwing the turtle photo out there to create an emotional reaction to, to trigger a purchase for their straw. I, I don't know exactly what, what they're, but I, it did stick with me that like, um, they, I just thought I, for something about it, the fact that it, I, it had value outside of just the environmental effect, I think right now, like everyone's just so charged up politically you know, that, that anything with the environment has now got a connotation of, of not being valuable almost, you know what I mean? Or of being a sacrifice as opposed to a gain. 
Yeah. And with the business, I wanted to show people that you could create something that was beneficial for people that also had all of these great environmental impacts. Um, and so I think from my like design perspective, that might've been a part of it. Um, when you read it back to me or when you said it back to me there, I did feel like, gosh, you know, I am kind of, that's, that is not incorrect. I think that the right answer is the fact that this is a very small amount of space. I have a very momentary opportunity to communicate with my customers in the retail environment. And I guess it's not that it doesn't have that value or that I don't talk about that value because I do, it's on our website and like, it's a big part of what we do. But if I only have 30 seconds to talk to the core person that I'm talking to, I should sell them on what's going to benefit them as opposed to the greater good, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that decision is sound and I, I don't disagree with it. <clears throat> I think what it is, is that, there is a perceived battle between positivity and negativity. And we talked about business books. And when you read sales tricks or marketing tricks, these kinds of things that I hate because there's a foundation of unethical behavior at the heart of them. That's why I've never wanted to be a Madison Avenue advertiser, even though I like the flashy lights. It's like, we're a bunch of pirates. TBWA, we're a bunch of pirates. We help the underdog. Your main client is McDonald's and Gatorade. Come on. You're not a pirate. You are the system. You're just finding a new way to package unhealthy things. Like you're, There's nothing crazy about what you're doing. You're just accepting dump trucks full of money and you're churning out. Like, I get it. There's nothing like wrong with that, but call it what it is, right? So yeah. you can spin any... But when you have these tricks and marketing and sales tricks, we know that if you want to encourage buyer action, you have to make things positive. If I want you to like this video, you have to have a positive emotion. I can make you laugh. I can make you feel good about yourself. That resonates with people. So we've got these tricks and tips for building a business that have existed prior to this green revolution. And then we've got these grim, dark, very real problems that are facing the world that quite frankly, nobody wants to think about. Nobody wants to think about California running out of water. Nobody wants to think about food shortages. Nobody wants to think about supply chains coming from China. Nobody wants to think that a single ship jackknifed in the Suez Canal could <laughs> disrupt Ikea for years. You can't get a chip yeah. anymore, so therefore you can't buy cars for three years and they're going to go up. Nobody wants to think about that because it's perceived as negativity and that's a negative emotion. Like you said, the turtle with the straw, that's a negative emotion. And people on social media, people in life, they turn away from negative things and they turn towards puppy videos. Here's a cat playing a saxophone. That's fun. It gives me positivity. It's not helping anybody. It's not helping well, the hey, problem. You know, Ross, let's go a little, can I go a little conspiracy theory on you? Cause oh, I read sure. something the other day. <laughs> I read something well. the other day and I want to know if it's true. I don't know. Okay. But I read that, that in TikTok in, in Asia and China, I've heard, I know what you're going to celebrate yeah. entrepreneurs, yeah. celebrates social change, celebrates innovation, celebrates students working hard and achieving things. Whereas TikTok in, in North America celebrates pranks, uh, you know, boobs, uh, dancing, and, you know, inconsequential things specifically as a means of, of quelling innovation in America as a, a competing in the global marketplace. And rewarding people for stupid stuff. Well, it's, it's hard yeah. to imagine 
You know, if, if you think that the only way that you're going to be rewarded as a teenager is to dance and do pranks and do stupid, inconsequential stuff, then that's what you're going to dedicate your life to. And they say, oh, by the way, if you want to succeed at TikTok, you can't just post one time a day. You need to post three, four times a day. You need to dedicate your entire waking life towards dancing and doing prank videos on TikTok so that you get that brand deal from Frito-Lay and you hold up a bag and they give you five grand. I mean, you know, is that a great system? Is that I don't know, we, man. Is that what we yeah. want? Maybe it is. We sure are going towards it full steam ahead. Yeah, a part of being an adult is realizing that no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. No one's in, like really got a clear picture of like, and like, is guiding all of these things because we live in a free market. We do. So, which I think we should, but also, um, and, and yeah. for me with this show, with the premise of being what it is, it's something that I wrestle with as well, because you know that even by bringing up, by, by talking about this stuff, you're in that negative category. Even if we talk about it in a positive light, because my whole thing was starting this was, I'm not going to create a show like Jon Stewart called The Problem with Jon Stewart. I'm creating The Solution with Ross Palmer. I only talk to people who are solving these problems, who have come up with ideas. But even still, the very mention of the fact that there is a problem, even if you're solving it, it's still like, oh, is that too negative? Is that too, that's not a cat video. That's not a dog playing jazz music on a piano. It's still yeah. a bit heavy. So it is that territory that we all have to ask ourselves, like, again, what is the most effective vehicle for change? So I, I, I support your idea because I think it, it is true. And I think we'd all do well to think about how is it that these things get done. And I still do believe that there is this mixture between uh, building a business, entrepreneurship, and a green future. And I think that's an exciting intersection just because of where the money is and where the resources are. So that's why I celebrate people like you. It's exactly that. But it is an ongoing question. And you're going to say, hmm, how much should I put on the packaging? And I'm going to say, hmm, how much should I talk about these problems? <laughs> because I do try to show it's like these people, through solving the problems, they're happier personally. They've made more money. I've talked to many people who've made millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars solving these problems. There's money out there for people who solve these environmental problems. I so think, I try to focus you know, on that. Climate change is is uh, is one of the most fascinating things in the world because it is change, and uh, our our market, our capitalism, adapts to change, and, and you profit off change, uh, and the and the volatility in that. And so, when you need to recycle or um, create a new way of storing water, that's a capitalist opportunity to revolutionize the world in 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 changing plastic relationships. Similarly, fuels, cars, Tesla, you know, like. At the end of the day, uh, the world is moving towards a sustainable future because we actually do not have a scientific choice. Mm. And so you can be a part of that as a capitalist. You could be a part of that as an entrepreneur and drive that change. Or you can sit back and watch and complain while the world changes around you. And it's still going to change. You can't stop it. I'm sorry. Time goes on. And we learn as a species when asbestos is bad for us and when oil pollutes the atmosphere. We learn as a species that that we're not always right and, and we're failing forward, but but we have to keep learning and we have to keep going. We can't just say, no, I want nothing to change anymore. 
Yeah, so. and it's also funny about what lines are drawn in the sand externally, and we don't want to get too political here, but I, I noticed this the other day, and it made me laugh, and I haven't thought about it until just now, but... Obviously, when the vaccine came along for COVID, we thought, hey, this is a purely positive thing. I, I thought, great celebration. But of course, people politicized that and then spun it into a personal freedom thing and big government and all that stuff. So I was like, OK, that you have turned that into a negative thing. All right. So vaccines are off the table, not just for this one, but probably forever. And you're like, you'll never take any vaccine for anything yeah. ever again. So it was it like we have a huge drought here in Southern California and there was a mandate in my area that said you cannot water outside for the last two weeks. It ended yesterday officially. Could not water at all for two weeks. I happen to know some people that uh, are, you know, acquaintances of mine that very, very much against vaccine, 100 percent. And I was kind of curious, so I just said, hey, have you not been watering the last two weeks? But in a way that really seemed innocuous. And they said, yeah, well, the city said we couldn't, so we didn't. A bunch of these people, they didn't water for the last two weeks. I remember thinking, like, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything, because if we politicize this, and it becomes about your freedom. But somehow they accepted that that was a necessary thing to do, and they did it. Even though their political views, you know, if certain people analyze that, they'd say, how dare you? You know, I'm going to pay whatever. Like, I, I, it's my God-given right to water my lawn every single day. So I was just thinking, like, shut your mouth, you stupid idiot. Don't say anything. Just be like, mm, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, just okay. on that note, Anyways. like, it relates back to my fire thing. You know, like, people are like, oh, you're against burning wood? Are you crazy? You're against having campfires? And I'm like, no, I'm not against having campfires. Like, no one's trying to ban your campfires. And I'm like, wait, actually... Actually, wait, no, all the campfires are banned because they burn the forest down. I don't right. do that. That's been laws for decades, for centuries. Like, There's that it turns out that I'm not trying to just restrict you personally. I'm just trying to talk about something that new. And I don't know why everyone takes everything so personally. I just don't. Yeah. I don't get I, it. I, I don't know either. But speaking of personally and to spin this in a positive direction, since doing this mission, and obviously, again, I said at the beginning of this episode, you're the toast of Canada. We've got all these accolades of Victoria. I, I think Beautiful that's an exaggeration, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, uh, to- uh, awards and uh, features from Victoria Publications and, and Vancouver and BC, all these nice things. You got the deal on dragons then you have these early encouraging signs that the business is good and viable and like you said it's your first maybe great idea now that you're here by no means out of the woods yet pun intended i hope uh how do you feel at this point do you feel happy being on this mission do you feel like you are on the right track well i feel good right now and but it's important to note that how i feel and how the business will do is not a linear journey and so it's very important I catch myself in moments where I don't feel good or where things aren't going well. And I still, you know, understand that that's part of the journey and not blow it out of proportion. Um, but I, I think um, I feel very lucky. You know, one of the things that we didn't talk about was my privilege going into mm-hmm. creating this company. And the mm-hmm. fact is, if I didn't have my grandfather who retired with a wood shop that I, you know, that he created wood in and, or, or like, and did all his carpentry and stuff that had all the infrastructure and air and everything that I needed without that rent free, I wouldn't have started the company period. I, I would, it's not possible. I, I couldn't have done it financially. So, and then simultaneously I've lent, I've, I've leaned heavily on my friends and family. I make them go do flyers actually off the beaten path. I flyer the compost bins after the truck dumps it. Just put a flyer on there. Best marketing I could possibly do. Um, but, uh, 
and and I've asked my moms and my my dad and my friends and family to go in flyer bins on pickup day and and things like that. So um, I definitely haven't done any of this alone. And right now I'm feeling in particular just particularly grateful for my team and my family for um, getting us through like a very difficult summer while we um, transitioned to a distribution model as opposed to a direct sale model. So we're now relying on external stakeholders to to help us grow the business and. Um, I found that I, I'm not very good at, at, uh, I feel like other people should be able to do things that I can do. And that's not always a fair expectation. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm feeling really good right now. And most importantly, I'm feeling like, um, there is a recognition of good ideas if you persevere and you just stick around, you know, like, like we started raising capital at the beginning of the year hit a, a bit of a wall with everyone being you know, over their economy and recession fears. Um, and I just never stopped applying to different VCs every day. You know, I, I, I just kept building that engine. And uh, it seems like just now after, you know, now that we're into September, August, everybody went on holiday and now suddenly everybody's trying to contact me and I've suddenly got all these, these pitch, pitches booked. And so a lot of the time what I'm hearing from people is, oh, we talked to you last year you were trying to raise capital, but you're still here. How is that possible? And it's because they're used to people coming out and pitching ideas. And if they don't raise any money, the idea is gone and they, they go off to a new idea, a new business. What longevity is there in that? You know. So from an investor perspective, the fact that I'm still here, that my company is alive and actually doing business and selling something and creating money and um, has staff and momentum and things like that, that's been a huge difference maker. So. Uh, I'm really grateful for my my perseverance mostly lately too, because mm. um, there was there were periods where like things were difficult and and I would have liked things to be easier and, and most importantly I really hate negotiating with retailers they're so mean they're so mean and so like that's really that was a big part of what was so frustrating for me about the summer but um, anyway in the meantime yeah like everything's worked on because I pressed on and um, yeah I'll tell you a quick 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 rock story. Chris yeah. Rock story. <laughs> Chris Rock story. This is my favorite bit from Chris Rock. And it's, he does a stand-up bit. And uh, somewhere in this, he says this story. And he says, if your car breaks down and you on the side of the road, you drove out of the side of the road and you stick out your thumb, leaning against your trunk, no one will stop for you. But if you put the car in neutral and you start pushing it, people will start pull over and start pushing with you. And I know it's Chris Rock, so you're like, wow, where did that come from? But... Truly, like um, nothing has helped me more than the fact that I am actually going out and continuing to do this no matter what, even if no one does help me, if I'm just going to still go it, and people will because I'm doing that. But if I go in it with, I need you to help me, otherwise I can't do this, there's no, no one wants to do that because like they don't think that even if they do help you, you will succeed. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. And, and that's one of the many profound things from our, our chat today that, it's always these subtle little gems. Like you said, it may not be the entire book, but there's a couple of key moments already in this conversation that if you're not paying attention, whoosh, could just go right on by. But there's a few things that I'm going to take away from this. Uh, first of all, you've had a number of interesting ideas, ideas that not everybody would do. The insight to call Dragon's Den winners, if you could call it that, that's something that not everybody would think about. That's something not everybody would do. 
the insight to flyer the compost bins. There's a number of ideas that I can say for certain that not everybody would do, or if they had those ideas, they wouldn't implement them. So you have had these insights that, A, I should do these things, which you did, but then you had the perseverance to actually go through it. And that, I think, is is a relatively rare combination. Either you don't have the ideas, in which case, as we discussed, you're me, or you have the ideas and you don't do anything about them, in which case you're most of the population. But to have these ideas and to do something, to say, you know what, I should really call these VCs, and then to call them, and then to call them back, that well, it sucks is probably the, the truth key. is, ideas are worthless, man. Yeah. You know, without action, without any sort of like following to back it up, it's just, it's startup, nothing. It's, you know, and, and that's what makes it so hard. And um, I, I, I think I lived like within my young 20s. I thought that just because I had great ideas, I, that would be worth something to somebody. And the truth is, it's not unless you're willing to like push forward with them. Unless there's some dream job that I never got where I got to just like have ideas all day. That'd be cool. But <laughs> it doesn't yeah. sound very realistic. Don but, Draper and Mad Men just show up at 9 a.m., pour yourself a drink, and sit in a bar. Yeah, <laughs> I loved I loved that. Let's growing, do like, this. Uh, then the money just rolls in. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, he didn't really work very hard, did he? It didn't appear. Yeah. It didn't appear to me. But, <laughs> but what do I know? Um, it was a different time. But yeah. yeah, I think I think the Chris Rock quote. Uh, it's it's apt. Because people do have to sort of see that you're putting in the time and the effort. It's it's a human nature thing. And and then that goes back to our conversation about does anybody do anything for ethics or purely char- who does purely charitable acts ever? I, I would love to, but the truth is I have to eat. Right. You know, and that's the reality. Like there yeah. is no like like. True, truly charitable acts are really hard to come by. Yep. If you hear if you hear on the news about you know X billionaire giving away X amount of dollars, he wrote a press release. He paid someone to write a press release to get it out there. That's part of the return on his his giving the money away is the the you know positive feedback in that. So yep. I feel like a lot of the veils have been pulled off the world for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's true. Now, what do you think? I have to ask your opinion before we get out of here. The Patagonia. CEO who gave away all his wealth. Um, what do you, is there an angle there? Do you feel that that is because oh, to me I think it seems like a really that's great a really thing. Interesting question. Um, without it being communicated again and again and again that this act has happened, and like without it being like a consistent that they're for the planet always, um, I worry that it's just kind of a one-off situation. Um, I, I think it's amazing, but at the same time, I don't think it gives me the structure to build upon as someone who doesn't have a massive multi-billion dollar corporation to to do good either. You know, like I, I don't know, like there's no opportunity for, I don't know, I guess I'm not complaining by any means. I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. But I guess I'm not seeing from an entrepreneur's perspective uh, how I can mimic that or how I can do that myself. Because the truth is giving something away is a privilege in and of itself, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's wonderful, but I think that maybe our society needs a bit more work where we don't create these, these billionaires um, quite as quickly or, or, or we don't like uh, celebrate that, um, that level of wealth or something like that. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I often you. think, you know, like if all these 
who's the richest man in the world, Musk or Bezos or whatever. These conversations are all based on the, the equity valuation of the companies that they run. So the truth is they, they are not the bitch, richest people in the world. There are many, many, many families who are far wealthier than they are, who have their assets split up in all kinds of different things and who recognize that it, there's not very a lot of value for their name being in the news, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's like a whole other side of it. <laughs> yeah, anyway. We have been like yeah. skirting these conspiracy things all the time. Yeah. We're getting yeah, into it. All right. You can tell. It. No, I do no. have ADHD. I do have ADHD. So I'm also like extra jittery and idea. Like, No, this is good. I, I, I do yeah. too. Never diagnosed. And uh, my constant caffeine <laughs> usage is yeah. only making it worse. Uh, but there, like I said, there, there's a lot of profound things, and and I'm deeply grateful that you have chosen to do this. And of course, you got to eat, and of course, you need that financial success to make it work. And I, uh, you know, I think the signs are good, and that people will respect, admire. I, mean, I I admire your efforts from afar, and I know that others do as well. Well, thank you, Russ. I do appreciate that a lot, um, and I really appreciate you what you do because I also like I personally really struggle with uh, actually getting in front of a camera. So you did great, uh, and like. I know, but I just, I've got this, some sort of barrier. So I, you, I'm just saying I admire you and, and you can do something that I can't, you know? Well, that's all I got. You're out there building. I'm just talking about it. So it's like, I just, I'm just a cheerleader at the end of the day. I just cheer people on and I say, go, you got this, make the world a better place. And hopefully through the combination of both of what we're doing, some, some good happens. But again, like I said, I'm just happy because for every person like you, there's somebody else who says, eh, forget all that. I'm just going to go for what what they perceive to be easy money or this or that. But I think, like you said, the future is about entrepreneurs like you. That's what I think. And I think a lot of these other things, these these business models that might have worked the last 60 years, they're just not going to be as attractive anymore. The money's not going to be there. there it, it won't happen overnight, but eventually it's going to be businesses like this that that get the lion's share of what funding there is and the next big eco multi-billion dollar business is going to be very exciting so yeah i'm 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 i wonder what it'll be what do you think well we i've talked to a lot of people i get to talk to a lot of pretty amazing people and i am just shocked at how clear their thinking is about some of these big issues so there's a few episodes that will air before this episode that have aired now in the past, but that haven't aired yet as of this filming date of people who are, you know, we got a guy who's mapping the oceans. We have people who are drawing down carbon in incredible ways. There are some pretty smart people out there doing some pretty cool stuff. And then I just sit back and say, okay, could you're going to, yeah. Well, have you spoken to uh, Josh from flash food? No, haven't. Flash food is an app that. that rather than take digitizes, like takes the data from expiries and then sells the food at a discount the closer it gets to the expiry. Um, mm. And uh, it's really cool. He's saved millions of dollars of food waste because okay. he sells food. You know, like that's going to be my next outreach because that's, yeah, sounds, man. and we've you had four or name. five different solutions to food waste. It's come up again and again, but that is a, a new idea. So that's, mm-hmm. that's different. I, I love it. You get reducing the amount lunch. of good food. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. It's, it's super cool. Well, anyway, Tara, um, I know we're wrapping things up here, but can you just give me a quick outro of where people can visit, support your project? I'm sure you've got absolutely. a very busy day ahead. Yeah. So you can check us out at www.binbreeze.ca, B-I-N-B-R-E-E-Z-E. 
uh, used a Z because I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and basically, uh, you can buy it online. We do have a U.S. packaging and a U.S. product that's available for sale into uh, to the U.S. And um, we do hope to 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 be coming down to California now that California is composting all of its organics. Yes, so, uh, come hit me up. Yep. <laughs> we'll get coffee. <laughs> All right, yeah, Taylor, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. The official cool. podcast is, I appreciate you, man. <laughs>